Hey you heroes! Welcome to Marvel Champions Monthly, a fan cast about the card game Marvel Champions by Fantasy Flight Games. Thanks for joining us as we complete heroic deeds and thaw the villain's evil schemes. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to a special episode of Marvel Champions Monthly. Um, we're doing something different today, and uh, we've got an interview. We've got three of the hosts here, myself, um, Adderkop, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you for asking. Americano, how are you? Uh, I'm excited to be here, Really doing really good. And uh, Dan, glad you could make it. It feels so good to be last. Yeah, we actually have a fourth person with us. Um, Caleb, how Hi. are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, I'm taking Dan's last spot. Yeah, yeah. We actually are replacing Crimson with you, so I hope you can make time for all of our future episodes. <laughs> oh, I think Crimson's better qualified than me for that. Well, that could be a whole episode, but let's move on. Um, we've got some questions. We want to talk about uh, Mutant Genesis, um, and we'd like to get some of your insights on it. How does that sound? Sounds great. Cool. Well, um, where do you want to start? Which, how should we start, Dan? Where do you want to start? We should do some icebreakers, because not everybody's listened to every show we've had, and not everybody's heard an interview with Caleb before. So let's get to know Caleb and his comic book history with some icebreakers. Does that work? I think we can do that. Yeah. Um, we talk about comics, I'd say, pretty often here. And we've talked about comics with you before, Caleb, so why don't yeah. we start there? What is your most memorable X-Men comic you've read in the past decade? Oh, man, that is a great question. In the past decade. See, I like how you qualified it, because like, the most memorable mm -hmm. for me is obviously the epic Jim Lee X-Men number one, but that was, uh, that was several decades ago now. <laughs> I'm dating myself a little there. Uh, so within the last decade, um, you know what? I've got it, actually. Uh, it would be um, the X-Men Messiah Complex crossover uh, event. That was a big one for me. It was actually a... a I found it at Gen Con, of all places. Uh, Half Price Books has a booth there most years. And so in my little bit of free time, I floated over to their booth, and I found this, uh, this big X-Men volume that I had never seen before. And this was back when we used to ride the bus. Uh, it's a pretty long ride from Indianapolis, Indiana, to uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. So uh, I remember just pouring uh, through that on the bus ride. It's a very happy memory. That's awesome. And shout out to Half Price, Half Price Books. I've spent um, full price at, uh, <laughs> by the time I was done there, several times. Right. Convention. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was, that was an exciting time. I, I hadn't actually, I, I had kind of gotten out of comic books for a real long time just because of being busy with life. And so uh, this, this actually got back into them well before we got the Marvel license. So it was a, it was a real run up to the to the news that we were going to get to work with Marvel, that uh, I was getting back into comics again. And so I hadn't read a lot of X-Men in a long time. And so that, uh, if you're not familiar with Messiah Complex, that's a really great story with, with uh, a lot of your favorite characters and, and villains and uh, the interwoven story threads. It's just very rewarding. So not only was it like a cool art and, and a great find, but it was also a very engaging story that I've, I've gone back to several uh, times since that bus ride. 
That's awesome. And it's got a ton of great covers too. So whether you like reading books or just looking at them, Messiah Complex is is, uh, worth your time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was a crossover through a bunch of titles. So that goes with our next question. So we do a lot of like ranking lists and top fives on our show. Mm -hmm. So who are your top five or five favorite X-Men that aren't Wolverine or Cyclops? No! (laughs) I added a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, you just just cut my number one and two spot. Yeah, because for me it's... Yeah, it's probably Cyclops and Wolverine, but let's see. So setting those two aside, I love Nightcrawler. I think Kurt Wagner is just a a, a really uh, great superhero with a lot of heart, right? Like the the fact that he he'd rather not be fighting people. Uh, he really believes in peace, and uh, I love how his faith uh, plays such a big role in everything he does. Uh, but if he has to throw down, he's just like one of the best. He's a real swashbuckler, so he's fantastic. Um, let's see. Um, I also like Phoenix. Um, it's kind of, kind of old school. Like goes back to, to my earliest introduction to the X-Men and, and she always just kind of felt like the heart of the team. Um, that she was just so important to like everybody, her friendship with Storm, her relationship to Cyclops, her mentorship with Professor X, their shared mental powers. Like, um, and then of course the Dark Phoenix saga just made her an even more compelling character with that, uh dark uh, side of her coming out and, and putting everyone in jeopardy so that those two are pretty easy i love colossus uh maybe it's another because he's another hero with a really good heart you know he's like a real artist at heart and he'd also kind of rather not be fighting if he didn't have to he's he's got the strength to like punch anybody out but he'd rather he'd rather work things out peacefully if he could um let's see there's just so many great ones to choose from right i feel like i'm forgetting a bunch that I'll feel silly later. I like Cable. Uh, Cable's one actually took me a while to warm up to. Um, but I love that as the years have gone by, so many extra layers have been added to his character. I, I probably like him a lot because he is the son of Cyclops, you know, like returned from the future. And I think that whole convoluted story is really engaging. Um, and I like the idea that he's so powerful. You don't get to see it because he has to spend like half of his power just stopping the technovirus from like overtaking his body, right? Like I don't know if everyone knows that like that metal arm isn't like a, it's not like Winter Soldier's metal arm. It's actually like a virus that's eating away at his body, um, and so he's constantly like holding it back with his incredible psychic powers. Uh, so that's that's four. Let's see, what's what's a good fifth one? Um, I feel like I should rep like another another woman on the team because there's so many fantastic uh women on the in the x-men I, I will say white queen um emma frost i i thought she made a really interesting turn from from villain to to x-men and i love the she presents herself as this heartless uh you know person who's just completely vain but when you when you get underneath that when you strip away that that tough exterior it's like she really cares very very deeply for the x-men and and for the people on the team and especially the students um, so I, I think she represents in a lot of ways what makes X-Men storytelling so compelling, right? Is, is that all these characters have the, these, these rich layers to them and a, and a rich history as well. So like I, when I think of White Queen, I think of like the Joss Whedon run where White Queen and Shadowcat are like two of the prominent members of the team. And of course, like Shadowcat's first adventure, she was like captured by the White Queen in the Hellfire Club, right? And, uh, like literally put in a cage and, uh, and so the fact that they have to work together now, there's all that history there, uh, I think is just fascinating. Uh, plus, she's got these really cool powers, right? With, like, 
She can mind control people or she can go diamond form, but in her diamond form she can't use her telepathy. Interesting stuff. I'm glad White Queen made your list. That's uh and, and that you, you opened calling her White Queen rather than, than Emma. You know, never forget your roots, right? Well for yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things of like then then I get blasted for that sometimes, right? Like we did Shadow Cat and people are like, Who's Shadow Cat? Like it's Kitty Pride. I'm like what? Okay, but back in the day, like her name was Shadow Cat. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, because it, like, it used to be a thing, like, it was mandatory to have, like, a superhero name to protect your secret identity. And now they kind of quit doing that a little bit. But I always liked it when they had uh, secret identity names. I thought that was cool, you know. So, yeah, yeah, to me, she's always White Queen, even if she just goes by Emma. Same with Kitty. She's still always Shadowcat to me. Yeah, and even before Shadowcat, she was uh, Sprite, which is a nice, fitting character for her, uh, for her early demeanor. Yeah, like early early on when she was like, you know, the kid sister on the team. Yeah. I, I felt like Shadowcat's when she really came into her own though, right? Like she's full fledged yeah. member. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so those were your, your five favorite. Those all feel like like main team X Men, like big name X Men. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite B lister? Do you have a favorite like not so popular mutant? Oh sure, sure. Let's see. I'm I'm thinking of like to me, the B-listers were always like the, the the new kids they would introduce alongside, you know, the the big names. Yeah, but definitely. Like, I I really enjoyed Brian Michael Bendis's uh, Uncanny X Men run, where uh, like Cyclops and Wolverine like kind of switched places, right? Like Wolverine became like the respectable headmaster of the the Jean Grey school, right? And like Cyclops was like the renegade outlaw, recruiting people for his. Uh, his school that was like based in the old like Weapon X program, and there was some interesting people on that team, right? I, I would have to say Gold Balls was probably the standout from that group of mutants, right? Like yes, yes, the, that's a good one. <laughs> shoots Gold Balls out, and, <laughs> and, and like someone on the team like named him that, and he was like, "No, please don't call <laughs> me that; it'll stick." And like it did, and that was like part of his story arc was like just embracing the name. Yeah, <laughs> Where, like, yeah, the, that. <laughs> eventually they go into combat and he's like shouting like gold balls as he like shoots gold balls at sentinels <laughs> if if he comes into the game can his flavor text please just be poink boink oh yeah yeah boink. <laughs> yeah kind of like uh nightcrawler had bamf yeah gold balls had boink <laughs> <laughs> that's a really that's a really good choice honestly that whole that whole class of mutants are pretty uh pretty quirky like i kid yeah um so yeah, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you dove into that one. Yeah, like I said, I, I really enjoyed uh, that that story. At least really at the outset, I thought they were really building up to something something special. I think we got some pretty good crossovers out of that uh, storyline. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, guys, do you have any other icebreaker questions, or do you think the ice is broken? I, I think that gives us a, a lot of insight into how well versed Caleb is in the X Men. So. I think we could jump into the X-Men heroes and villains that we got in Marvel Champions um, because I don't think that you've made it uh, a secret, Caleb, that you were really excited about bringing the X-Men into oh, Marvel yeah. Champions. <laughs> There's um, no point hiding since, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so we finally got them. Um, and Mutant Genesis, the box, is is actually... It's been well-received. Like overwhelmingly well-received um, and popular That's great to hear. Um, in, in the circles that I see online um, and, and people I've talked to personally about 
about Marvel Champions. But um, I know this is so. I'll have another question about the the X Men number one, the Jim Lee. I have mm-hmm. I have a question about that tying into this box, but and I know it's been a while since you designed this, since Mutant Genesis was designed, but like. When you guys first found out you got the Marvel license, was it always like, hey, we're going to do X-Men? Or is it like, was it just like a pie in the sky? Let's let's hope we can get X-Men? Or were you pushing for it? Like, how long was this box in hopes and in the plan for it to, to, to come into Marvel Champions? Uh, well, as far as in the hopes, it was in my hopes from the very first uh, whisper that we might be working with Marvel, you know? Like as soon as as soon as anyone says Marvel in earshot of me, you know, my heart goes to the X-Men. So okay. that was always in my wish list. As far as like when it became known that we would do it, um it was probably right before we started doing it, you know? Okay. Um so yeah, I, I think I've talked about this in the past of like trying to conceive of the game in phases similar to how like the the mcu initially you know or maybe still does go in phases right um and what i liked about the mcu working in phases is that phases one and two really built up to three right with the infinity saga and Mm -hmm. uh and so i thought that'd be a cool way to um develop a the card game to try to plan for the future and, and really like, you know, reassure our players that we're going somewhere with this. We're not just like willy nilly from one set to the next, like, cool, what should we do now? But rather we have a plan, we have a story we want to tell. And, and so th- that first, that first, you know, complete um, wave one, two, and three, you know, we had that all figured out with the uh, Avengers and guardians and eventually Thanos and the black order. Um, there was a surprise in there though when it was like we we kind of knew we wanted to do x-men um and make that a whole um three-part phase as well uh but then we thought hey before we like commit to another like multi-year you know uh overarching story what if we just surprise people with something fresh you know and so that's that's where we got the the sinister motives wave um and it kind of worked out too that like uh, Boggs and I had this leapfrog approach to the design, so I had just wrapped up, you know, uh, Mad Titan Shadow, and uh, that meant the next wave was going to go to to Boggs. But of course, I really want to do Mutant Genesis. Like I, I don't know what would have happened if I didn't get to do, be lead on that. It would have just broke my heart, you know. And Boggs is such a huge Spider-Man fan that it just made sense of like, hey, let's let's just let's do kind of a one-off, just something fun kind of a um just to break things up and so that it really worked out that like boggs got to do like kind of his favorite stuff with the the spidey stuff and then that you know kept our rhythm going where then the next one was mutant genesis so um just looking back i can't remember exactly when it became known that we were going to do it but it seemed like the moment we knew it was a possibility we just started planning for it kind of like i just said that's awesome let me then let me ask you this really quick about because you mentioned this when you were on the live stream, mm-hmm. you and Tony were playing uh, against Magneto, mm-hmm. who's the final villain in Mutant Genesis. Um, you you mentioned the Jim Lee X Men number one, mm-hmm. I, th- I think, in the stream. Oh yeah. Um, so let me. So how 
how much because that was your most memorable comic you said earlier of like that you can never remember um how much of an influence did you go back to that comic while you were designing magneto um like <laughs> was that was that one that you kept coming back to 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 get inspiration for this the villain well, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of laughing because uh, going back to it kind of implies I ever left it. Like that that okay. that whole comic <laughs> arc like lives rent free in my head since I was like twelve. <laughs> I've read that one so many times. I mean, at at the time I first discovered it, I just the art was like mind blowing. It was like uh, looking at a blockbuster movie, but on a comic page, right? Um, and and so I, I used to just pour over that, just like memorize every panel. Um, it was it was great. So I, you know, then I bought it. Like I had all the issues, and then eventually they released a trade paperback. So I bought that. And then more recently, they released like a, I don't know if it was like a thirtieth anniversary or what it was, um, but it was like another trade paperback. But this time, they gave it like the modern comic book uh, treatment. Uh, and and if you follow comics from you know, like the, the 90s, 2000s to now, you definitely know, like, everything used to be done pen and paper, whereas now it's all done on, like, tablets and, and um, you know, computer programs where they, they can draw on them. Um, so they don't, they don't like, actually put it on pen and paper anymore and, like, scan it. Maybe some artists do, but most of them are just drawing right on their computer, right? So it has a very different look. And uh, so they went back and they kind of gave Jim Lee's, like, original X-Men run, like, that treatment. So I went and bought that one too. You know, there's another half price books find. Um, so I've just kind of been like perennially invested in that storyline. So it was definitely, yeah, at, at the front of my mind. Um, like there was no way we were ever not going to make Magneto the final boss in that box. And if you're going to do Magneto, it's got to be on Asteroid M. You know what I mean? There you go. Pardon me. Awesome. So it was, yeah, it was definitely heavily inspired by that. But also... Like, I, I think we're aware that a lot of people come into the game, probably the, the most popular touch point for the X-Men would be that 90s cartoon. You know, that was probably had an even bigger audience than the comic books, even though that comic like sold millions of copies, like a record that still hasn't been beat. It was probably still more people that, uh, that watched the cartoon. And so some of the story was definitely influenced by that, too. That brings up uh, a question um, that someone had asked us to ask you was okay. with a lot of the boxes, it seems like sometimes the villain selection is done to sort of subvert expectations, right? Thanos wasn't the main villain of the Mad Titan Shadow. The mm -hmm. Sinister Six wasn't at the end of the Sinister Six box. Yeah. How does that villain selection process go? Do you come up with like the overall story and then try to put a plot twist in it? Or, um, oh, yeah. So that's a great question. Is that intentional? That's that's a fantastic question, and and uh, I think like so you mentioned like the you know the Mad Titan Shadow and Thanos isn't the final boss though you expect he would be. Um, my original pitch he was it was it was a kind of a pedestrian sort of storyline where you would just fight your way through different members of the Black Order and eventually confront Thanos, and um, you know that was in my vision, and this is why we have this vision process, right? It's like. We sort of put together our pitch of what we'd like to do, and then it goes to the executive team, and you've got a lot of uh, key players in the executive team who who read it and talk about it and give their feedback. And at the time, you know, the feedback was, "This is a little too predictable. Like, can we can we think outside the box?" And it it was kind of you know given to us like a challenge of, "Can you do can you do better?" Um, and I thought, you know, at first, you know, 
you always put a certain amount of passion and energy into this. So, you know, when you, when that's the initial feedback, it's a little bit like, no, you don't understand. This is what players expect. You know, this is what they want. Um, but then, you know, then when you, you know, open yourself up to that conversation and you start to hear, yeah, it's what the players want. It's also what they're expecting. You know, we could have an opportunity to surprise them. And, and so there was sort of a, I, I think, a, a compromise that was reached where it was like Thanos is still going to be in there and you're still going to fight through the Black Order to get to him and he's still going to feel like a boss enemy. Um, but it's not going to be the fifth one, you know, so we're going to do something after that. Um, and and I, I'm really happy with how that turned out. So I'm glad to, if that's resonating with people, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And same with Sinister Motives, although I think with Sinister Motives, we kind of had the experience of the last box. So we kind of knew from the jump, hey, let's try to think of something novel. And uh, we really thought it would be fun to, you know, to do uh, a Venom Goblin, right? Like the whole thing was centered around this Venom symbiote. And, you know, we knew Osborne was involved and we thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool, right? If, if like, he, uh... and what's funny is we didn't even know that's an actual story arc, like in the comics. <laughs> like, I felt so silly. I thought we were being like really innovative and like, yeah, and we're going to blow people's minds. Like Osborne's going to get the Venom symbiote and then you're going to have Venom Goblin and it's going to be amazing. And I was telling uh, my friend about it. He's a big comic book fan. And he's like, yeah, they already did that. Only it was the Carnage symbiote, right? It was the Red Goblin. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Great minds think alike, I guess. <laughs> Uh, to your credit, it is relatively recent, so you know. Yeah, well, and and I don't yeah. I don't follow the the Spidey books as, as closely as I follow the X Men, so it, it made sense that I missed that. My buddy's more of the Venom and and Spidey fan, so he was quick to 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 let me know about that. Your uh your last answer gives me some hope because if Boggs could work on Sinister Motives because he's a Spider Man fan, and you were able to work on Mutant Genesis because you're the X Men fan, that means that when we get to the Howard the Duck box, you guys will let me on. To, de to design. <laughs> hey, when, when we get there, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely reach out. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's a, we, so talking about designing, um, uh, when you were designing previous expansions, did you develop anything that was a mechanic that you were like, you know what, this is really, really cool. I want this to be an X-Men thing, so let's come up with something different for right now and kind of back pocket this cool concept? Oh, I love that question. That's really cool. Um, and it's funny because I love that question because I've definitely done it in other games. I don't know that I've done that for Champions, but like we definitely did that for Lord of the Rings. There was, uh, MJ and I used to have lots of conversations and, and uh, debates about, hey, this is a great idea, but maybe, uh, maybe let's save it for when we go to this other part of Middle-earth where it feels more natural. Um, so that's definitely something that we do. But with, uh, with Champions, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just the benefit of uh, all that experience from working on Lord of the Rings for eight years and bringing that to Champions that uh, maybe we're already in that headspace and we're already kind of planning ahead like that. Um, that I can't, I can't think of an example of, of where we came up with an idea and said, nah, that doesn't fit this, let's do that later. Because I feel like all of our ideas that we come up with are very specific to the characters that we know that we're doing, right? Right. Do you think that, um, as you mentioned, um, Middle-earth and Lord of the Rings, do you think 
the the powers and the abilities of people that are from Tolkien's universe are more um, abstract, more subtle, as where in Marvel, like their power set is very, very specific. Like he mm-hmm. shoots lasers from his eyes. Yeah. So you know where you're at, where your wheelhouse is. But how does Aragorn inspire men, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how I wish you could see the facial expressions I'm making because I'm over here like, huh, that's a really great point. You know, like I, I, I do appreciate that. And I would wholeheartedly agree that that was once you started saying it like when you asked the question then you started to elaborate you started saying exactly what i was thinking which is that marvel is very specific about their power sets right like when i was a kid they don't do this as much anymore but when i was a kid they used to release these like comics that were nothing but just information right they would just be character breakdowns and they'd be like here's a breakdown of this character with his you know all the different powers and his power level they'd have these stats right so you could Mm -hmm. like show off that your favorite hero has better energy levels than, you know, your friend's favorite hero. Um, but it was very specific. Whereas, yeah, there's none of that for Lord of the Rings, right? There, there's no, like, Boromir has a fighting skill of seven and Aragorn has a fighting <laughs> skill of eight. Like, you get that in Marvel, but you don't get that in, in Lord of the Rings. It is, it is more abstract. And so I think because Lord of the Rings is more abstract, it definitely leaves more room for interpretation, like, I, I do think you could design a character like Galadriel, you know, a dozen different ways easily, and they would all be valid, right? And I Certainly. Just, I just happened to design her one way that made sense to me and fit for what we were trying to do at the time, and, and thankfully that resonated, but we could have just as easily, you know, designed her a completely different way, and it would have been equally valid. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I was I was on the right track with those uh, those mm-hmm. questions. Um, if you're ready, uh, we'd like to talk about some of the scenarios. Um, Let's do it. Sabretooth. Yeah, Sabretooth is a super fun villain. Uh, he's got a he's got a good story hook. I like it. It's it's iconic. You know, you've got the senator. Um, all the scenarios in Mutant Genesis feel very different um, from classic Marvel champions, and it shows the diversity uh, within the game engine. Like what 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 is capable of doing, right? Um, how did you come up with the idea of Sabretooth's interaction with Senator Kelly, uh, and how did it evolve through testing? Like, is it is it drastically different from its its early iterations? Well, first of all, I'm just I'm really glad to hear that the scenarios in, in Mutant Genesis feel different and and resonate because that was, you know, something that was really important to me. Uh, with with every box we do, we're constantly trying to um, do different things, right? So that it, people don't feel like they're just coming back and playing the same scenario over and over again with just different art, right? Um, so that's, that's super encouraging to hear. With regards to the actual mechanics and, and Senator Kelly, kind of like I mentioned, the, um, the, the, the old 90s cartoon, right? I remember that was like a key feature of I think the very first episode was like, Sabretooth was kind of throwing a fit on the news and like smashing cars and Senator Kelly was talking over it about, you know, Mutant Registration Act and all this stuff. And so I just thought that'd be a really fun place to start, right? Just with those two characters. When, you, when you're looking at a product like uh, Mutant Genesis, you, you know Magneto's going to be your final boss, but it's more of a question like who's going to be your first encounter, right? That's, pardon me, that's not necessarily a, a given. Um, so we sort of talked about like who, who would be good, what would they do, what would make it interesting, and all that. And and I really just remembered that very first episode. I think Sabretooth's like maybe the first villain you see on the screen as the X Men are watching the news. And I thought, you know, that that'd be a great way to kick off our story. Is that 
you know, Sabretooth is trying to kill Robert Kelly, and that immediately tells the story of the X-Men, right? Because Robert, the reason Sabretooth is after Robert Kelly is because Robert Kelly wants to round up mutants. You know, he's not a friend to the X-Men. He's their enemy, too. And so the fact that the X-Men have to go and rescue Senator Kelly from Sabretooth, it, it's, to me, that just encapsulates who the X-Men are. Um, so once you know... Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, once you know the story, then it's just a matter of, okay, now how do we do this mechanically? Um, and, and at that point, you know, you, you're trying to make it as immersive as possible so that people, people aren't sitting back from the table at a high level and going, oh, I see how this all interacts, but rather they're kind of leaning forward in their seats, right, and going, oh, my gosh, we gotta, we got to hurry up and save the, the senator, otherwise Sabretooth is going to kill him. Um, so we just try to make it as intuitive, as simple as possible. And, uh, you know, the easiest way I could think of is just make Robert Kelly an ally because we understand what happens to allies when, when they take too much damage, you know. Um, and, I, and I like that some of my playtesters complained, like, the senator screws up all my X-Men synergy, though. Like, I can't do my stuff where it's like if all your allies have the X-Men trait. And I'm like, I actually kind of like that because it's like, that's what he's doing. He's a burden. He's not there to help you. It's really frustrating that you have to defend him and he's messing up your game. Um, maybe that's too effective of storytelling because then people actually get irritated. <laughs> We're not trying to do that too much, but it happens. It sounds like Robert Kelly, yeah. Right. Yeah, I feel like you're, you're trying to escort him out and the whole time he's complaining or he's, he's giving you ideas. He's like, oh, well, you know, we should probably go this direction right. instead. And Cyclops is like, no, no, we're going this way. There's a, there's a plane. We're going to leave on it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so for me, it's, it's, um, it, it, once you know you've got a solid hook, then the, the, a lot of times the best design is just to, like, everything points back to that, right? Um, so if you look at Sabretooth's kit, it's, it's pretty tight. Like either things are pointing directly back to Senator Kelly or they're pointing to Sabretooth's hit points to, to remind you about his healing factor. So it's, it's going to be one of those two things for the most part. When you're designing a scenario like Sabretooth, how often do you look for like silver bullets within the aspect pool? Like my group likes to play this game with Senator Kelly, where once you've once you're escorting him, you can play Ready for Action, which is a leadership event that lets you give an ally you control tough. So I'll give him, I'll give Kelly tough, and we'll try to pass him all the way around the table before we use the tough card. Oh, that's great! That's really cool. Are you always looking for like those loopholes, or how does that work? No, I'm going to be completely honest. Like, no, there is not enough time in the <laughs> year to find all of those uh, silver bullets. Um, it's it's one of those things where I think for, for people on the outside looking in who don't understand like the uh, development process and the working with deadlines and what a tight schedule we're on, I think maybe sometimes it can look like, uh, you know, they should have known this, they should have seen this. Um, but, you know, every year our card pool expands, which means every possible combination expands exponentially. And there's, there's just no way, even with, uh, we have a wonderful team of, of playtesters, and even with their help, there's, there, it's unrealistic to expect that we could find all of these. Now, thankfully, we're a cooperative game, so this isn't like a competitive situation where we've upset the competitive meta or something, and now people are mad at tournaments. Um, so yeah, it's just there's gonna be there's gonna be fun, quirky things that you can do in the game. But from my point of view, that is uh, that that is a boon. And not a and not a failure. From my point of view, that's Marvel Comics. Marvel Comics loves to do 
weird, quirky things, and that was in our vision for the game line total, is that you should be able to do weird and quirky things, too, that, that evoke that Marvel feeling. So actually, what you just described sounds amazing. That sounds like amazing fun to be able to put a tough card on Robert Kelly and then be like, go ahead, Sabretooth, hit him. He's fine. We got him covered. Um, and that can tell a whole story, too. I love that. Would you... <laughs> uh, would you say that it's a boon and not a burden yeah, for the yeah. listeners at home? I, I just winked at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of my Lord of the Rings seeping in there, right? <laughs> Big wink. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did. I did. I did just get back from a Lord of the Rings uh, like event in in Germany uh, last week. So uh, that was that was really fun to uh, to engage with that community again. They're just fantastic. So there was a lot of. A lot of Lord of the Rings language being used uh, last week, and so it's still in my mind. Absolutely. Uh, Lure of Middle-Earth. Yeah, yeah, that looks gorgeous. It was super fun. I mean, it's at a castle in Germany on the Rhine River. It doesn't get much better than that. And wonderful people. Absolutely wonderful people. But I'm not here to represent that. Sorry. I'm, I'm here to talk about uh, Marvel Champions. So that's another great community, too. <laughs> that's right. With, it's Marvel Champions. With lovely time. people as well. <laughs> Sorry, Dan's upset now. Dan? <laughs> no, I like Lord, I, I like Marvel Champions too, yeah. Um, <laughs> our next question is moving on to the Sentinel scenarios. So there's two Sentinel-related scenarios, and I'm super excited about this because I feel like a lot of times in video games and card games, the Sentinels get ignored, but they're like the classic 90s villain of Marvel to me. They were like in the Pizza Hut, you know, yeah. kid's meal you could get back in the day. Um. What was your thought on having two scenarios related to the Sentinels? And did this have any inspiration or any ideas formed that were similar to the Collector, where you had two scenarios against the same villain, sort of? Well, I would say the relation to the Collector just showed us that it can be done and that, and that people can enjoy uh, you know, two variations on a, on a theme or on a villain. Uh, so that gave me a lot of confidence going in that, like, yeah, we can do two Sentinel-centric scenarios, and they will still feel different enough, and they'll still be exciting to the players. So that, that gave me great confidence. Um, the goal for each two was, was very different, right? Um, going back to the story, that's where it really starts, though, right? It's just the story we're trying to tell of, of Senator Kelly, you know, uh, his anti-mutant agenda and his links to the government. And, you know, in the comic, he sort of makes this unilateral decision to activate the Sentinel program and start this project wide awake. You know, he doesn't put it to a vote or anything like that, right? So there's, there's some shady stuff going on. And, uh, and you get the Sentinels then in the next scenario trying to abduct, you know, young mutants, which was, I don't know, that, that I just loved everything about that. I loved that we get uh, a lot of these um, classic new mutant characters like Cannonball and Boom Boom. Um, we get them in their, with their X-Men trait. And uh, I love the idea that they, you know, they're not even really part of the X-Men yet. They're just, they're at home playing Xbox, watching TV, whatever they're doing. And suddenly there's like a sentinel crashing through their house to capture them. And uh, I actually had a buddy of mine, when I told him I was, uh, was working on the, you know, X-Men box, he says, he says, if I can't rescue Jubilee at the mall, I'm not going to buy it. He <laughs> you know, like, was just like all about that. That 90s cartoon, right? That was the same episode one where it's like the X-Men are all shopping and they bump into Jubilee and the Sentinels are after her. And so that was kind of a fun tip of the hat to have that mutants at the mall side scheme. And if you 
defeat it, you, you gain Jubilee as an ally, and she can stick with you through the campaign, and same with the other uh, mutants that you rescue. So I felt like that was a very um, clear identity for that scenario, that it's all about rescuing mutants from, from the Sentinels. And, and I also liked the, um, the fact that if, if you chump block with an ally, then it, then it will be captured under the... Um, which one is it? Is it Project Wide Awake? What's it called? Um, I can't. It's Operation Zero Tolerance. Zero to- yeah, thank you. It's it's the required uh, modular set. Yeah, I just can't remember the name yeah. of it on top of my head. But I really yeah. like, you know, that was that's us responding to the community as people are talking about. Oh, the best way to play is always leadership and play allies, and you chump block with them, and you know, you never take damage. And so it was like, that's cool. Uh, we can address that thematically through this scenario in a way that makes sense to the story. That if you allow these people to be defeated by Sentinels, the, then the Sentinels capture them, and if they capture too many people, you lose. So I was excited by that. I thought it gave that scenario just a very clear identity. Um, and a very different one from Master Mold, who has a totally different you know, agenda. Um, so yeah, I liked having both of them in there. And again, if you followed the cartoon or the comics, it, it's also kind of a, um, a story arc that people are familiar with of Sentinels capturing mutants and you're trying to rescue them and then eventually realizing, hey, these things, uh, they just keep coming, right? Someone's manufacturing them. We have to go and shut down that, that uh, Sentinel factory. Uh, and I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I intend to use this scenario to reel a friend in from another game group. Mm. Uh, he saw me pick up Gambit and Rogue, and he was like, oh, you know, Rogue and Jubilee are my favorite X-Men. Is this game fun? I said, well, I've got good news for you. So I'm going <laughs> to hand him the Rogue deck, and we're going to go save Jubilee at some point. My question is, why have you not told him that you do a podcast for the, the game? I have. That I would, have. I totally have. Okay. So he, uh, yeah. But he still had to ask you if, you, if the game was fun. <laughs> yeah, he, it's just the type of person that he is. Actually, some people in my group that aren't my Marvel Champions group will yell dropkick at me in another game because they know how much I like a specific card called <laughs> dropkick. Uh, um, so going, going into the next uh, scenario, um, my favorite scenario is Mansion Attack. Okay. I, I really, really like Mansion Attack. It gives me the exact vibe that I want. Um, it's kind of like uh, the old X-Men arcade game. It reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this is th- it's truly a new and unique way to have a multi-villain scenario. Um, what goes into designing a scenario with multiple villains? Uh, how do you balance and test for the, the random order and the nature of the side schemes and uh, villains? Well, it's, it's more work than a, than a standard one <laughs> villain scenario. I, I can tell you that. That makes two of us. It's more work for me as a player. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things of just if it's exciting enough, we'll just find a way to make it work, and and we'll put in the extra effort, and we'll you know um, in, invite our testers to to join us for the ride and help us out. Um, so with that one, let's see. By this time, we'd already done you know a few multi-villain scenarios, right? There was the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. Pardon me. There was uh, the the Tower He's Defense. Six. Yeah, there was the Sinister Six, and there was the Tower Defense with Corvus and Proxima. So we'd had a few. It, it almost feels like it's a thing now where we have to have one in every wave. You know, here, here's your multi-villain <laughs> that's, scenario. For that's this great wave. with me. Uh, yeah, I I love Sinister Six because I think I, I think I verbalize the most in scenarios like that mm-hmm. while I'm playing, like by myself, even solo. Sure. Um, 
because you know you punch out Doctor Octopus and you're like, all right, who's left? Who's got, who wants the next one? <laughs> and uh, in, or you drop kick him, or you drop kick him, right? And then and then mansion mansion attack. I uh, I actually opened my Wolverine pack against that one, okay. and I was like, let's see what Wolverine can do. And I got uh, I think Blob to start. I looked at my opening hand. And I set everything up, and I was like, this is going to be easy. And I knocked out Blob in one turn, oh, wow. like just out of the gate, maxed my hand out, and I said, all right, cool, now what happens? It flipped into Pyro, and I died. <laughs> oh, yeah, Pyro's no pushover, that's for sure. And that was that was so awesome. Like, I, I got to, like, have fun with my hero. The scenario snapped back, and I, I died. So I played it again with uh, with Colossus. It was, it was awesome. It made me want to keep going. I just, I really, really liked the scenario. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. No, really, that, that means a lot, because... You know, ultimately, that's why we do this, right? We, it's uh, we want people to have fun. Like we're having fun making it, uh, and that's that's one thing. Uh, but it needs to translate to the players, and it has to be fun to you guys too. Uh, so that's great because I think sometimes as a designer, I enjoy it for different reasons. Um, but it's great to hear, you know, like actually a lot of what you enjoyed about it is what an I I enjoy about it too, right? I like when a scenario will will give me that like hey you're doing okay yeah nice job you know you advanced and then now 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 it's my turn now i'm hitting back and you get some of that back and forth and it and it feels alive right um so it certainly with that one it was really just trying to find a way to do a multi-villain scenario different to everything else we had done and to do it in a way that felt natural to the story we were trying to tell and so I, I knew we were going to do the, the four members uh, that we chose for the Brotherhood, this kind of the classic version. Um, and I wanted to have a lot of replayability. That's something that I really value personally is games, products, where I can just kind of play them without ever getting bored because there's something a little different every time. And uh, I thought right away, if you can randomize the order of the villains, that's a big step. Uh, but then I was like, why not take it a step further and, and randomize uh, the order of the schemes? Um, because, you know, they're, they're attacking this uh, the X-Mansion, you know, the Xavier Institute. It's, it's a very large place with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of different rooms and places on the grounds. And so I thought, oh, that would be really cool then to have like four different villains and four different schemes and then you have all these different combinations of like you can fight blob in the cafeteria or you could fight blob in the atrium and how is that experience different and um and it can kind of create moments where like oh gosh you know if we get uh towed i really hope it's not at the basketball court you know for whatever reason like that's just hits my deck even worse um so i i really do like the idea of uh yeah, like all the different combinations that it creates. Then the trick is to do that, though, without overwhelming the players with a whole bunch of overhead and rules they have to keep track of. And so that's that's why it's very meaningful to me to hear that people are enjoying it and not just being like, oh, it's, it's a lot of work, you know, and try to... I think it starts out more complex, and then through testing and development, we, we really try to streamline it as much as possible. I agree with you. I wouldn't want to face Toad on the basketball court either because I feel like he has insane man-to-man coverage. <laughs> he's, like, I'm not even interested. He's, he's got... You win. He's, he's got that airtime <laughs> that no one else has. He can really yeah. jump. Yep, it's true. Like, half court against Toad? No, that's fine. <laughs> you win. You're good. <laughs> I like that you that you also include, like, required modular sets. 
and recommended modular sets okay. in the setup of the scenario because so for this one in this scenario you you put in there like hey you put you got to put in the brotherhood modular set as well mm-hmm. um and that adds some pressure to the players because it i mean obviously it's you can play however you however you want but um i generally stick to what the the required quote unquote required modular sets are mm-hmm. and then if it allows if the scenario permits for mod for like other then i mix and match right mm-hmm. and this one you know i'm thinking of like the treachery brotherhood beatdown where it has a different um, like effect based on which enemies in play, mm-hmm. and if you're playing with the Brotherhood modular set, like you could potentially have all of those things happen, depending yeah. depending on how bad of a situation you're in, and and so it just it it adds some pressure to it, but also like they're never gonna just show up by themselves, right? So there's always the possibility of having multiple uh, uh, enemies out there in the Brotherhood, which thematically, uh, you know, it just it adds a, another flair to it. I, I really appreciate you saying that. that. That's cool to hear because, uh, yeah, that was something I was thinking of too, right? Is that, the you know, there's no single member of the Brotherhood that really, you go, oh no, you know, it's this guy. But it, it's because they always show up together and they, they work as a team. That's what makes them formidable. And you would lose that entirely if you just had one of them in, in play at a time with no threat that another one could show up. And so we knew we wanted to have a Brotherhood like modular set for you know, the first scenario to interact with Sabretooth. We wanted the sense that it's not just Sabretooth, it's, it's the whole Brotherhood that's, that's coming against uh, Senator Kelly. Um, and so then it just made sense of like, well, look, if we're going to create that set, we should use it in the scenario that is named after them. Um, or I guess it's called Mansion Attack, but you know they're the main characters. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, what did we do? We we like how we added a whole thing about like if you have a minion with the with the same title as the villain, we added that text of like what to do, and uh, and that was kind of fun. Uh, that was kind of novel. This idea. This, yeah. Yeah. It was really elegant. I liked it a lot. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That's. Uh, I think. Yeah. That's on the Save the School environment. It's probably the wordiest card in the game <laughs> and we were i think it is we were we were all kind of looking at it like can we can we trim this and then we realized sort of the saving grace was you only need to look at this card when the villain's defeated like like that's it <laughs> it's just when the villain's defeated so we'll be okay <laughs> all right um my favorite scenario in the box is magneto um he is, I mean, you've, you've mentioned it in the interview, like, there was no doubt that he was going to be the final boss. He it really is, like, an epic boss. Um, and he, and I expressed this, too, when we talked about this in our episode um, about Mutant Genesis, was, like, he feels very cinematic in that there are, there's like side scheme, the checkpoints, right? Where it's not, it's not as checkpointy. That's not a word, but as Hella is. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely got the same sort of vibe as far as like these side schemes that, that prevent the players from winning. You have to, you have to resolve these side schemes before you can actually defeat 
you know, Magneto, mm -hmm. right? Um, because it, it's like a, a tiered checkpoint almost. Mm -hmm. Not a hard checkpoint, but... Um, and, and to me, that, like... It makes you, as a, as a character, either bring a well-rounded team, or, if you're playing by yourself, have a well-rounded hero, because you can't just focus on smashing him in the face. You have to deal with all these other things. Or you can't just focus on the schemes and then and plink him down, mm -hmm. right? You have to you have to come at him from all angles, which makes a lot of sense because he's Magneto, right? Um, so I just wanted to say, I'm going to fanboy a little bit and say, I appreciate the design, like mechanically speaking. And like he, he felt like a very cinematic, epic final boss um, for the box. So I don't have a question actually about this. <laughs> I just wanted to say... Uh, <laughs> um, Anyway. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you, because uh, as you're describing it, I mean, you're basically going down the checklist of things that I wanted the scenario to be. You know, when you're talking about it being cinematic or epic or that, you know, you can't just rush them down, uh, you know, those were all things that I wanted because um, Magneto is, like, one of the most popular villains, one of the most formidable bad guys, you know, in, in Marvel Comics history. And and so I think it would be a you know, pretty big letdown if you know if you could just take out stage one the way you can take out Blob in the previous scenario, right? Um, and and but at the same time, I get nervous because I have learned over the years that I enjoy longer epic cinematic scenarios where sometimes what people want is really just kind of a quick and dirty and I can finish in, you know, 20, 30 minutes where I'm like, I'm good for an hour, you know, like let's sit down and let's really, uh, let's settle in and experience this thing and let it unfold. And, uh, so part of what I try to do with each box is maybe, you know, give us a bit of both to make sure there's, there's scenarios yeah. that you can just like get into right away and play very quickly, um, w without having to think too much about it. And then I try to, to do some that just feel very epic and, and grand. And I think, the risk with all that, of course, is that maybe it's too epic. Maybe it takes too long. And, and so people are like, oh, I see what he's going for here, but I ain't got time for that. You know, uh, <laughs> well, well, I'll say I, I did introduce Marvel Champions to a, a guy that I played with a couple months ago. We played a three-player game. It was, it was one of the guy's first times playing, or it was his first mm -hmm. time. And the other guy had played with me like maybe 10 times or so. Mm -hmm. And we, play, we played Magneto because I had just gone through the campaign and I fell in love with Magneto, and I said, let's play this. And then I realized when we started playing that it maybe wasn't a good idea yeah. <laughs> for a new player. No, I, I, I would but, say as a rule. But he keeps asking me. Oh, that's good. He keeps asking me. He wants to, he wants to come back to it. Oh, so that's great to hear. Uh, yeah. I, 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 it, it ended up being okay. <laughs> but, you know, about 30 minutes in, I was like, oh, no. This is, right, this, right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, as a, a general rule, I would not introduce people to the game with the fifth scenario of any box. <laughs> the, the fifth scenario is in general, you know, the, the coup de grace. It's, it's the hardest one. It's, uh, you know, it's the final boss. It's something you work up to. Uh, 100% I agree with you. <laughs> more often, I think the first scenario in a box is probably where you start people. <laughs> and that's actually, just, just in case it wasn't obvious, that is by design. Like, the first scenario of every box, that is part of the conversation is... This could be someone's very first game of Marvel Champions. Like they just they bought this box for whatever reason. They're skipping the scenarios in the core box 
because they want to jump right to whatever this content is. This, these are the villains they're excited about. So we we do in general try to design that first scenario to be something that uh, that that isn't overwhelming that people can get right to. And and I realize as I'm saying this that Sabretooth is a bit more complicated than the average uh, first scenario. And that was we kind of we kind of made our bed with that one where it was like. Um, if we're going to tell this story with, uh, with Senator Kelly, it's, it's going to be a little more complicated than like a rhino scenario. <laughs> Especially cause it felt like in that, in that situation, you, you wanted to bring Senator Kelly in, but also it just, Sabretooth had to have that hook where he's, um, always regenerating, mm-hmm. where he's always healing. Yeah. And so, and his cards do interact with Bull. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm a little jealous that uh, Americano just said nice things rather than asking a question because now I want to do that too. Oh, but, feel free! I got um, I got all I the can, time. Can... If you guys just want to tell me how great I am, I can stay here all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. like, we already really I already asked the question earlier about Magneto. Oh, but... oh okay. All right, sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, let me see if I can reframe this one into just saying nice things. <laughs> Um, let's, let's talk about the heroes. Cause that was the part that I was honestly the most excited about because you put one of my favorite X-Men in the box. I would have it right away. Who's that? Um, well, that's Colossus. That is the heart and soul of the X-Men All as far right. as I'm concerned. Uh, so what drove your decision to put shadow cat and Colossus in the box instead of the others from the wave? Um, obviously like they're a great choice and I'm, I'm literally ecstatic about, uh, Colossus right away. Um, but from like a baseline perspective, uh, Colossus sort of breaks the rules on, on toughness and he introduces this like double mechanic. Um, can you give us your initial thoughts on Colossus and how you came up with um, that ability for him? Yeah, well, the Colossus uh, ability was actually, um, it's one of these that I think internally we would describe as like a no-brainer. Like it was just, it was really easy. We just thought, you know, again, I think you guys are familiar with our design process by now where we, you know, we start with who is this character, what are his powers, you know, and then it's how can we represent that in the game? And with Colossus, like his skin turns to organic steel, he becomes bulletproof and impervious. And so it's like we already have a, a, a word for that in the game, and it's tough. Uh, so it was like, how can he interact with tough in a way that is exciting? He can be the first and currently only hero that can have two tough status. And, uh, that is a pretty, uh, we're just like, that'll get people excited. Like, oh my gosh, he can have two, so he can take like two undefended attacks, you know, and no problem. Nothing can really hurt him. Um, and then once we knew that we were going to allow this for like, he can have two tough, then it became a thing of what else can we do with that? Because if you just stop at he can be tough twice and, and stop damage, that's not, you know, that's not enough to carry the weight of a whole kit. So then it's, you need more. So then it was like, well, if he's got two of them, he could lose one and still be tough to prevent the next, you know, attack uh, doing any damage. So what if he spent them? What if what if you traded tough status for, you know, uh, stronger abilities or kickers or whatever? And then very quickly realized, like, yeah, these tough are worth a lot, though. Like, you really don't want to be without them. So, okay, what, what can we do so that he can get them back? And... Um, it's kind of fun. Like I, I feel like when you land on a good design, um, you know, like uh, just just something that's evocative, something that's exciting. 
then uh, from there, I got to tell you, like as a designer, I realize I'm the one coming up with this stuff, but it really feels like in some ways I'm along for the ride and I just get to explore this space and be like, oh, look what else I found, right? It, it is a really interesting feeling to try to describe. Um, and I think everyone that I know at the office, when we talk about it, everyone gets it. Everyone goes, oh, I know that feeling exactly. But people outside who don't do this for a living might be surprised to learn that it it's less, from our point of view, it's less of like, um, going, look at how clever I am. Look at all these amazing ideas I came up with. And it's more of, wow, look what I found. Look at all this, uh, these neat ideas I discovered as I explored this space. Um, at least I think the ones who are real honest and humble will, will look at it that way. You know, that's, that's how I feel about that. So for me, Colossus was just really fun to discover and explore. Once we had the initial hook, the rest of it just kind of revealed itself as we worked at it. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's one of my favorite heroes because of, of what you're saying. Like, the double tough token, that's cool. Um, I got excited just seeing the mechanic and, you know, like the the, the side of my brain that just likes to, to show up in a scenario, smash damage and, and tell Dan that he has to deal with everything <laughs> that makes me uh, do anything else. Like, oh, there's threat yeah. over there, you should take care of that. Or there's an attack, you should defend that or something like that. I'm just going to keep punching. <laughs> But the introduction of the um, the sequencing that comes from tough token economy and uh, action economy, like as another layer on top of your your normal hero interactions, is is, is tremendously engaging. I, I really really like. Classes. I'm glad. What, what's your favorite card in this kit? Um, I think I think yes. Armor I asked because I was just looking at his kit and I'm like. I know what's my favorite, and it's armor up. That was like that was one of those again. It was like a discovery, right? Like we're just looking at this ability of like when he changes to hero form, he gains a, a tough, and uh, and then I, because that's such a part of his character. Like when I think of Colossus in the books that I've read, anytime he changed into his armored form was like a big deal, right? There was always like a panel like devoted to it of like. You know, some bad guy would be like, I'm going to get you, and they would be surprised. He'd be like, I don't think so, right? Boom, he turns into his armor form. Uh, and so I wanted that to be an event <laughs> in the in the game. And I thought, oh, man, wouldn't that be so cool if you could, uh, you know, flip back? Uh, b because, you know, to get the extra tough, he has to go from alter ego to hero, which means at some point he needs to flip back, and he's not super great at thwarting. So he doesn't really want the villain to do a lot of scheming. So I thought, oh, this is perfect. I'll flip to Alter Ego. I'll get the larger hand size. I'll be ready to flip back and gain a tough. And now I'll have this card that will let me interrupt the villain's activation so that when I flip to hero form, he's not scheming anymore. He's attacking, and I'm ready for it because I just gained another tough card. So I I'm glad you like that one, too, because yeah. that, for me, told a complete story. I, I love that one. I was playing with Dan recently, and I, and I was like, don't worry, uh, I have a plan. And my plan was just to turn yeah. back into hero, hero form and, and get my tough token for my next turn to be better. But that was a plan, and it didn't solve our <laughs> problem. But it was a plan that I had. So I did plan. it. Yeah. It's all part of the plan, plan. dude. <laughs> Ramp some damage up, and then I've got, a, I've got a steel fist for him next turn. But uh, as of right now, no, you are yeah. in trouble. So you, you had also <laughs> asked about like how we chose the heroes for the box and everything. Um, and that was, that was a bit of a process. Uh, there, there was a time where, um, we were really excited about the idea of like maybe doing another core set, uh, because we really thought 
you know, from the moment we announced X, uh, sorry, not X-Men, from the moment we announced Marvel Champions at Gen Con, all the comments were like, when are the X-Men coming? You know what I mean? Like, that was like, every new post, every announcement was, when are the X-Men coming? And, uh, and I knew as an X-Men fan that, that um, being, being a, an, an X-Men fan and a Marvel fan are not always the exact same thing. Like, for years and years, I only read X-Men comics. I didn't care about anything else Marvel was doing for a long time. I couldn't afford it all either, so that might have been part of it. But um, I just knew that, you know, once we announce X-Men, that, that there's a good chance that's going to bring a lot of new players to the game. And so th there was this inquiry of, like, would that be an appropriate time to do another core? And, you know, there's a whole lot of back and forth behind the scenes. And ultimately, what everyone agreed on, and, and, and I'm very grateful for this, so everyone from top to bottom was like, at least for sure, um, you should be able to play four X-Men from the jump, right? Whether it's going to be a story box or a core set or whatever it's going to be, uh, we want to make sure that the moment the uh, X-Men villains enter the, the game, you have uh, four X-Men heroes ready to fight them. Um, so once we knew it was going to be a, a, a story box and uh, we were going to do two hero packs with it, then it was simply a question of what heroes make more sense to go in the box versus what, what heroes uh, can we rely on to, to move product on their own, right? Because ultimately we we got to sell stuff if we want to keep making stuff. So um, when you think about like what heroes get their own pack, it's it's traditionally going to be the, the most popular ones that, that have that name recognition. And so I think Colossus and Shadowcat have that name recognition, but I think when you compare them to like Cyclops and Phoenix, most people are going to agree that like Cyclops and Phoenix have a little bit more name recognition, um, certainly more screen time in the in the different media. So that's ultimately how that decision was made. Was just like let's let's put heroes in the packs that uh, that we're sure are going to move move those packs. And uh, yeah. So so what I'm hearing is that Hawkeye isn't a hugely popular hero. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's the <laughs> negative spin on what I'm saying. You. It has nothing to do with people <laughs> not just being popular. It's, it's who's more popular. <laughs> just All right, so we'll jump into so Shadowcat. Last question about the box. Um, Shadowcat's the other hero uh, in the box, and she has a unique ability where she can jump from phase to solid, um, solid form, but she has a little bit less control when leaving phase form. Um, is this like a balance of like thematics or was this like um like mechanically we needed to have a way to to balance her so she's not super powerful all the time or or i and, and then a follow-up question how was she because she's she has a, a very similar feel to vision for example with phase forming um was it difficult to kind of make i don't want to say she's an iteration of vision but but she has a phase form flipping but but she feels different from vision was that was that difficult to manage i guess i should say yeah i think it was a challenge because uh they so shadowcat and vision have similar powers in that they can both become intangible um obviously they're a little different though in the sense that like vision's whole power is he can control his his body's density to either make it like intangible or like super dense right where like bullets bounce off of him and you know, a car can drive into him and just, you know, wrap itself around him and he'll be unmoved. Where Shadowcat does not have that super strength, right? She 
she's either solid or intangible. Those, she's either basically a, a normal woman or she can walk through walls. Um, but what I thought was interesting about Shadowcat that is a little different from Vision, at least I haven't seen Vision do this in the comics, is that she has the like acute control over her power where she can phase just parts of her body. So, for example, she can like phase her arm to reach into a wall without phasing the rest of her body. And, and, and this has created some really interesting moments where I've seen her like um, subdue villains just by, you know, she can phase things that she touches too. So I've seen her like phase something like a crowbar and then like swing the crowbar into a villain. It's phased, it hasn't hurt them yet, but she's holding a crowbar like through the villain's chest and saying like, okay, if, if you hit me now, I will lose control of this crowbar and it will become solid inside of your chest. You know, <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. uh, so that select control I thought was really interesting. But it, it, so long as it's phased, it's not doing any harm. She has to go solid to actually make contact. Um, so that you, your question was like, was it more mechanic? Was it more thematic? In this case, I actually feel really good saying that it's that it's both, right? That it's it's thematic in the sense that she has to go solid to actually hit somebody. You know, to actually do any damage or to move someone out of the way. Um, that's why if she's, uh, yeah, attacking or defending, she can start phased, but then it'll force her afterwards, right, to, to, to go back to solid. Um, and so on the solid side, it's like you can go phased any time after you attack or defend, but you don't have to. Uh, whereas when you're phased after you attack or defend, you have to flip back um, because you gotta you gotta go solid to land that punch. Um, and and thematically, that just made sense to me too. Like that's that's what she does. I really love it when she'll like jump out of a wall and then like uppercut somebody. Right? She goes solid at the moment she's emerged from the wall. Um, so that's that was that's awesome. So, I mean, that, go ahead, please. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Where she's able to control it a little bit better than vision can at least in the game well and, and i think in the comics too um, that's something i really love about this they're constantly training right and, and, and so Shadowcat goes back to like the chris claremont days where you know they would have whole comics you know dedicated to training in the danger room and attending class to really master your mutant powers and and so you i, I love how they they pay that off later on in the comics of you know, as she's doing these things, you know, her thought bubble will be like, you know, this is what Professor X trained me to do, or this is all those hours in the danger room paying off, you know. Um, I always liked that right. about the X-Men. I think well, that I think... was our last question for the Mutant Genesis box. Do you have any other general questions about, uh, you know, design and stuff like that, Americano? Um, no, because I think the question I wanted to ask will it will require like a thirty minute response. So <laughs> I, I I maybe don't have thirty minutes for it. I'm curious to. <laughs> uh, no, I will. No, so my feel with the X Men so far um, is that they're really good. When I take like a high level thirty thousand foot like view of the X Men as a team, as a quote unquote tribe, right? Um. Their their supports really good at each other out, regardless of like whether they're in hero form or alter ego. Like because they're mm -hmm. mutants, but their card work together 
to support other yes. mutants. Is that something that has been a conscious design decision? Yes, absolutely. Um, like I think cohesively, this is like the most uh, that I like the most cohesive I've seen of a group um, in Marvel Champions so far. Is is what I'm saying, and so I, I cut you off. I'm, oh, I apologize. No, no, I um, I think something happened with the recording there actually, where it would, like phased for a second. So I thought I was answering. I didn't realize you were you weren't done. So I'm sorry for interrupting. Um, but what you're saying is 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 actually kind of rewarding to hear because that was a conscious choice, uh, and it's and it's based off of sort of my experience with Marvel Comics, where like I said, you know, the X Men train in the danger room, right? They drill, they. They work together. They take class together. They live in the mansion together. Like I think the X Men more than any other team in the comics is a true team, where they actually practice, right? Um, whereas if you look at the Avengers or the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Defenders, uh, you don't see them training together very much, right? You don't see them practicing and drilling for the next uh you know event that's going to happen the avengers uh tend to just go off uh, and do their own thing when the when there isn't a crisis you know tony goes back to running his business you know steve goes back to his barbershop quartet or you know whatever he does you know like thor goes back to asgard like they don't they don't train together um they just they're all very talented so they come together when they need to but the x-men yeah we designed them to really synergize with each other and especially the supports uh, there was multifaceted goal there was um, one to highlight the fact, like I said, of, of what a tight group they are. And two, um, trying to respond to feedback from players and testers uh, who pointed out, like, we would like more reasons to go alter ego. That uh, alter ego is, is a facet of the game that for some is underutilized. Um, and, and I thought that's valuable feedback. That's legit. You know, that people are saying, I would like to go alter ego more. So we thought, Hey, this is great. This, that's what the X-Men are when they're not out fighting bad guys and saving the world. They go back to the X mansion and they study and they rest and they, they talk to Moira McTaggart and, you know, they work out in the danger room. And, uh, so we thought, let's make all of these like alter ego focused supports and then to do one better, we thought, hey, all these other things like, uh, uh, like the the Avengers, what did they have? The uh, Quinn carriers, their resource generator. You know, if 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 more than one person's playing Avengers, they're kind of fighting over who's going to get it onto the table first. And that's kind of true to the Avengers in some way. There's always a little bit of a contest between Steve and Tony for like, you know, who's the better Avenger, right? But with the X Men, it's more collaborative. So we thought, hey, this would be great. If I get X-Mansion on the table, uh, you can use it too, right? Like, we're, we're all in this together. Uh, you know, it's, it's mutants got to stick together. Um, so for me, it's really gratifying that, that you noticed that, picked up on that, that it resonated, because that was, that was all very much uh, a part of the X-Men DNA. That was it. That was it, Dan. That was an awesome response. Um, keep it up, because... Um, it's, I really like the tribal DNAs like that. It's oh, that's it's really great neat. to hear. Yeah, I, the, my biggest concern, honestly, in developing it was uh, I don't want to make it too good that it makes the other ones feel bad by comparison. And and I don't I don't personally think we did. Hopefully, other people uh, don't. It's like we want to make it different, not necessarily just straight up better. Um, so I, I'm hoping that people still enjoy the Avengers, still enjoy the Guardians and the Champions and everybody else. 
uh, we, we were not trying to replace them with the X-Men, just trying to give a new way to play. Well, I keep going nice back to Iron Man. Good. Well, Iron yeah, yeah, it's nice that not everything is trait-locked, <laughs> because Psylocke and Professor X and stuff like that still help yeah. all those old characters so cool. much. Um, I do have one more question for you, and I think you touched on it on today's FFG livestream a little bit, but there's a lot of like doomsday prepping happening in the Marvel Champions world right now. People thinking the game is over because nothing new has been announced. I know you probably can't announce anything new, but can you um, give some people some rest so they can <laughs> sleep at night well, and tell us, is the game I sure hope enough? not. I might be out of a job. Um... No, it's definitely not. Uh, so in the in the stream, I I'm sure people uh, have have met or seen Tony uh, before, but uh, yeah, it's like there's still two people working on the game, and that's me and Tony, uh, and we are we are both full time. Um, so there's definitely stuff in in the works. Um, so I, I don't. There's no reason for anyone to to worry that that the game is suddenly uh, ended. Excellent. I like to hear that. Yeah, me too. I like I like working on this line. This is a okay. this is a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm I'm hoping it will just keep going indefinitely. I think we are too. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's safe <laughs> to say if you guys keep buying it, we'll keep making it. Sounds great, um, Caleb. Thank you so much. Um, do you have any any parting words you want to leave with? with everybody or any questions for us because we're because we have all the answers <laughs> well i, I honestly I, I just want to say how much I, I genuinely appreciate hearing uh people enjoy the game and even on some of those deeper levels of enjoying the uh the theme and the design like uh i know we joked about you know give me praise or whatever but i, I want to let people know that sincerely it feels great to hear those things because uh yeah tony and boggs and and me and everybody else um you know, our, our art directors, our graphic designers, our producer, everybody who works on this game is incredibly passionate about it. And and it's far more than just a paycheck to everyone involved. You know what I mean? Like everybody's um, putting their best foot forward and, and really going the extra mile to make sure we deliver the best product. And so when when we hear that people are enjoying it and that it's it's creating excitement, it's building friendships, it's it's creating good experiences like that's why we do it. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. I'm going to pass that on to my team so that they know it too, because they like, we do that at the office. Like we will like send out an email or a chat just saying, Hey, just FYI spoke with, uh, you know, the good people at Marvel champions monthly and, uh, everyone's enjoying the game. Great work. You know, people love hearing that at the office. So thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks for coming on again. We'll uh, we'll wrap up here and we'll we'll try to get together again to talk about all the awesome hero packs and the mojo pack that's come out with Tony maybe too. Awesome. Thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Marvel Champions Monthly. If you liked this content, be sure to like, subscribe, or leave a comment on the video, letting us know what else you would love to see from the world of Marvel Champions. You can also join us on our Discord or support our work on Patreon in the links in the description below.